Welcome to another Toby Haydokes Who's Round. Marvellous! It's a continuation of my interview with Russell T. Davis, which is unedited just to show how patient the man was with my dithering questions. Bless him. So no, with so after Daleks in Manhattan, it's not the Lazarus. Is it the Lazarus? It's the Lazarus. He takes her home. He She's done all her trips. He takes Martha home for the Lazarus Express, and it's going to drop her off her flat. And there's Stephen Greenhoff waiting with the script. That's right. And, that's why I got um, confused because yes. he wrote the Doctor's daughter next. Yes, that's season. right. So it was his Greenhorn script. The Greenhorn when he was the Greenhorn, and then um, yes, that's right. Anyway, right. Well, Lazarus Experiment. Around, I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking Poor about. Poor Toby, bless. He's flagging faithful mm. viewers. Can't you were on breakfast this morning. I've got to play the comedy store tonight. Tell it would be brilliant because oh. you'd be tired and wild. I'll be very angry with anybody <laughs> that dares to say a thing. There's something. Um, so the Lazarus experiment is Mark Gatiss mm. uh, doing Quatermass. I mean, it, it, does he just keep knocking on your door and say, "If there's anything that's vague, you know why he Quatermass. never had?" I remember we were at. We were at a read through that Mark was at. He used to come along to read through sometimes and fill in with other voices. And because um, it was. Richard directing that episode, wasn't it? Was it? And um, who directed that episode? Yeah, um, it was Richard Clark. Yes, of course. So we went and read through for another story, and Mark was there. We were kind of muttering, going, "What about him as Lazarus?" And Richard had never seen him in in apart from League of Gentlemen stuff. Mind you, he's brilliant in the League of Gentlemen, but he was going, "Oh, are you sure we're going to be the truly, truly brilliant?" And we told him to go and watch that live Quatermass. That yeah. Mark was brilliant in, really, really, really brilliant. And Richard went away and watched that and just went, oh, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. And he's brilliant. He just gets it, Mark. You know, the size. Again, that's... It's not just the writers who need to get Doctor Who. It's, it's the actors a lot of the time. You know, not too big, not too small. Just loving it. And this, but this is you saying that you sometimes find it difficult to get actors in. As time went on, you know, Thelma Barlow comes in. You go, oh, hang on, she's dead in 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. As well, yeah. and you suddenly I think that was Thelma Barlow's last job as well. I think she's retired now. Oh, really? Yeah, we checked her out for... What could I have checked her out for? Wizards versus Aliens? Yes, we'd have checked her out for that. And retired, apparently. Oh, Bless really? her. Really lovely. She was delightful. Snogging Mark Gators. <laughs> Funny was that. Yes, it's, it's, it never is. They're never falling over themselves. To it's, it's a very showbiz story to pretend that actors are falling over. You have to get past agents. No agent is ever falling over themselves to get their client down to Cardiff for the money that we pay. Never. It's like, and although Doctor Who is a very nicely paid show, I'm not complaining... You don't get the fees you get to appear in a Midsummer Murders. So, you know, to sure. guest starring roles because we spend the money on other things. You know, we have a limited budget because there's so much else to spend your money on. Midsummer Murders, they only spend their money on the guest cast, really. Yeah. So it's not, you don't earn a fortune doing it. And so some actors like a fortune. So you don't always get them. Or the agents don't always pass it on. Yeah. You try. Well, and then um, you, you, with, with 42, that was quite nicely cut because I. I you got Anthony Flanagan playing quite a small part. So Do you know? Yes, I think stuff, I think because I said, "How come we got Anthony Flanagan for this?" And someone said, "Well, I think he's a fan." I right. don't know if that's true, but um, and lovely Michelle, Michelle Collins, who's now a lodger in my boyfriend's house. Oh really? Uh, my boyfriend's <laughs> my house. She has been while well, she's in the street. She's been living in his house. Lovely lodger, never a moment's trouble off her. Bless oh, her. Oh good. She's marvellous. She's lovely. Michelle. Well, she ha- she did actually. Bafta got in touch with her. And she sent an email saying she would do this. And then I emailed her. And- she didn't email back, and I assume she was busy. But um, I know someone that knows her now, 
Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, she's lovely. She's probably just forgotten an email somewhere. And yeah. uh, so she's properly lovely. It's oh, gorgeous. I like it. to do uh, 42, which is a great, it's 24 backwards and it's real time. It's kind of irresistible, isn't it? Yeah. In the end. I think, did we cheat slightly with 42 minutes? I'm yes, not sure. you, had to, you had to cheat at one point. Yes, 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 that's right. Nice idea, though. It was like, it was there, and it was all kind of like a nice space adventure, and the Ood were meant to be in that store, and I, I was thinking the other day, maybe we should have put the Ood in stuff. I don't know. Just to have something. To, I like a monster. I like a monster in every episode, to be honest, and I thought that could have done with, I know we had the living sun and the burning eyes, but I like a creature in there somewhere. We could yeah. have had a ship's mate who was a, Gorkrivor or something, <laughs> you know? It's, I want to see there we go. Now. A Gorkrivor. I had a sort of vultury beak in my mind then. Like, Can I refresh you further? No, I'm fine for the moment, honestly. Bless you, darling. Um, so then you had a break for Eurovision and there was a, there was a I remember, a trailer. Oh, yeah, we did, big didn't we? A extended long trailer. Uh, oh, there was coming up, which yes. Which was really exciting. Do you know, again, when we say we're very busy on Doctor Who, you have to fight for those things. Someone like Julie has to go in months in advance like six months in advance are we going in Eurovision, Eurovision week are we not if we're not can we have a trail no we don't do special trails we want a special trail we're going to edit trail no we do the trails ourselves no we're going to edit a minute long trail a minute and a half we want a long trail you can't have that we'll only transmit it once that the, if you saw the email chains of these things all of that copied to me copied to Phil but mainly fought by Julie it's like and I'm not I'm not criticising the BBC for that it's just any big business the amount of work that goes into making this show to yeah. say there was a trail that night and I just blanch at the amount of work getting that trail to be allowed to do that was Ugh, frightening. But weren't we right? Absolutely. Well, I still remember it was a great trail. Exactly. Was we trailer. were so right. And you can't just disappear for a week and not tell anyone. It's like, that's the one thing that always annoys me about television. It's like, if your favourite programme is on a different time next week or a different night, they don't tell you. They're kind of embarrassed by the fact they've made a change. They might whisper, they might go, they should do great big, visual advert saying this program has changed time it's now on at 10 o'clock not 9 o'clock they never do it's a weird television thing where they won't admit to changes strange and so we come back um, we've got uh, oh a, a, a family of blood and um, oh and human nature human nature Marvelous. I'm sure there's an episode before that hold on where are we we're with Martha we have uh, 42 no 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 I think we land there we've got family of blood then we're going to go to Blink uh, and oh, and then the three-parter. And then the three-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're there. Good. Yes. Sorry. <sighs> um, so, we go to Family of Blood, which I think is a remarkable thing. Um, uh, Harry Lloyd. Uh, great. How good is Harry Isn't Lloyd? Isn't he extraordinary? Everyone. Rebecca Statton, all of those people. It's a great cast, I think. Pip Torrens. Bless yeah, him. Pip Torrens. Oh, that Pip Torrens is the head. Wonderful actor. Jessica Hines. Yeah. Jessica Hines. That's, that's a hard bit of casting. Can you imagine sitting there going... We need David Tennant's lover. We need someone who's going to match him, who's, who's kind of stronger than him in this story in many ways. Who uh, You literally go through every single person and then you just arrive at Jessica and you go, that's it, problem solved. Pro you know, parts like that, in case you don't know, faithful viewer, are just offered. You don't audition everyone. People like Jessica wouldn't come in and read lines. Do you know what? She would come in and read lines if you asked her to because she's lovely. Whether her agent would is a different matter, but a part like that you just offer. You just go, there we go. Please come and play with us in Cardiff. And most times, when you're lucky, they say yes. Can you imagine anyone else playing that part? No. All the levels of it, all the. Oh, brilliant. And yet, an actress known predominantly for comedy, you know. That's yes, but I don't. I don't Bob and Rose with her. I remember yeah. someone in the office sort of saying, Isn't she just going to be funny? I don't Bob and Rose with her when she played a character called Holly, and she was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It's one of the most magnificent performances I've ever seen. So I had no doubt, and I knew she was lovely to work with. And. Um, 
Not a worry. Not a worry in the world about casting someone like that. As a comedian who's also an actor, I'm relieved to hear it. <laughs> um, uh, Absolutely. Because uh, sometimes people say, well, when you try and be funny, I say, I used to wait on tables, we're trying to serve you garlic bread. I, I know, know, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. A remarkable thing in that, though, is that um, I grew up watching children's television. I don't think I saw anything that had a load of public school boys weeping as they're getting ready to battle some psychotic scarecrows. Absolutely. Which is an odder sentence. With web guns. For a rather beautiful yes, thing. Yes, I mean, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, that's how, that's how deep Doctor Who can get. That's what I love about it. That's why, you know, I look back and it's like the freedom we had. You know, on, and although in one breath I'll say all scripts had to go to London, and you know everything we've done was supervised and checked and budgeted and all that but the opposite of that is i think i will never again know the freedom of that saturday night prime time saturday night prime time absolute freedom say so we've got psychotic school boys and we're going to say war is bad and the children are going to cry and yet you're going to see living scarecrows blasted to pieces in front of you and some horrible deaths and the doctor's going to be really quite guilty in all this not a note not a note you know it's like we Although we keep on being told we live in a world where executive producers shave one seventeenth of a frame off a shot, yes, you do that to tell, to to earn. You shave off those seventeenths because by working that hard, being that diligent, you earn absolute freedom, absolute freedom to tell whatever we want. No one at any point says you can't do that. That's too dark. That's too bleak. That's too dull for kids. Brilliant. Uh, well, Blink, I'm, I've actually got Banto, the fat DVD shop owner, to do. Have you? Hooray! So. <laughs> Banto. <laughs> he's, he's an old mate of mine. Oh, brilliant. Uh, in fact, I said when his name was in Doctor Who magazine, yeah. he, as a Star Wars fan, I sent him a text saying, <laughs> oh, right. bloody hell are you doing in Doctor Who? <laughs> did he ever dream that the episode he did would be repeated no. and repeated and go all around the world? No. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, and it's it's quite a thing. And Kerry Mulligan. Yes, she did all right, didn't she? Yeah, she's done okay. Not did you fans. know her work before that? No, well, I knew Bleak House, and uh, you could never quite see that sort of stardom about to descend on someone. Well, you can actually. What a classy act she was. She was beautiful. I remember, what, I remember how nice she was. With a very little read through of that, but there weren't many people there. I think David couldn't get to the read through. Stephen read the Doctor. That's right. And I was doing the stage directions. And she was there, and it was really, it felt like there were about ten people in the room, and it was lovely. And you've got that script in front of you, which is just gorgeous. And I remember, I look back, and I sort of think, God, I had a lovely hour with Gary Mulligan. Well, I have, I have a question because Michael Obiora as the policeman. Yes. Did he have to post dub his dialogue? Because yes, because we could not. It's it's very hard to cast older black actors. You've not got a, a huge choice of people, a very very limited choice of people. In this country, and so we cast Louis Mahoney, Louis Mahoney Ponty from, from Planet, Planet of Evil, Evil um, who does have that that burr to his accent. And so, I think we shot it in that order. I think we kind of hoped it would work out, and then we watched it in the end. And we went, no, this doesn't work out. So um, Michael had to come back in and just give a bit of a twang to his accent. Cool. And I don't think anyone notices. I think it's uh, and I go, he does it effortlessly. What a beautiful man he is. Um, you forget, you know. Well, yeah, it, it's like. Talk about forgetting the pain of childbirth. That problem was the whole production of Blink to us. It's like, yeah, this is the statue. That's fine. We can do that. We've got the pathetic. The voice, the voice. I put it into Andy Price. You know, is there anyone else we can cast? And yet, Louis Mahoney is a fine actor. Yeah. Fact, yes, to be blunt, we could have found older black actors. Not good older black actors. Not anyone who could have handled that dialogue. 
yeah. that dialogue is absolutely beautiful. You need to get a first-class actor for that. Frankly, I'm sure there are other people who were probably busy at the time, you know, I'm, I'm sweeping over the processes of casting. Yeah, you might check all the others. Actors like that are in demand. No, they're not free. It's only Louis Mahoney. Yes, the voice is a problem. Shall we dub it? Shall we not? And yet the scene with Michael in it is so beautiful. You don't want to dub, You never want to dub dialogue because it's just not as good. You know, 80 hours never as good as live sound. And yet you go through all those problems. And I remember the agony of that. It's kind of unnoticeable now. I think most people won't notice that Michael's done any dubbing. Mm-hmm. Um, fun, isn't it? Yeah. Things that drove you mad at the time are irrelevant. Things that are irrelevant will drive you mad for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, okay, here's the thing that seemed very big to me at the time. I got very cross. Oh. Um, is that Doctor Who magazine counted Utopia, Sound of Drums, uh, and all three episodes as one story. I don't. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's one of those things where, you know, it's like I was... I kind of check any any modern series stuff with Doctor Who magazine, I check. And I love Doctor Who magazine as much as I love Doctor Who. I could do an entire documentary about how getting Doctor Who magazine accepted by the BBC to come on set was the greatest hurdle I overcame in the entire production. It was just, They might sell Panini a licence, but no BBC programme is ready for a, an official magazine to be on set with them because it's so hard to do. Part it oh God, this is a whole other conversation, partly because the BBC has a rule of fair play where you must be fair to all magazines because it's a publicly owned company. The notion of fair play makes sense. But it doesn't make sense when Panini pay six-figure sums for a licence. So you say, they pay for a licence, but according to the BBC rules of fair play, they can have no more set, set access than SFX magazine does. Under BBC rules, and under very correct public service broadcasting rules, they, have, they should have equal access than Doctor Who magazine does. Irrelevant to the fact that Doctor Who magazine has paid for its licence. Battling that within the BBC took up months of my life every year. Battling it, battling it, battling it. Same with the Radio Times. The Radio Times will invest in Doctor Who to do a cover with us. It'll do a cover shoot. It'll spend a lot of money on Doctor Who. Officially, according to the rules, you are not allowed to spend any more time talking to the Radio Times than you do to the TV Times or to TV Choice. Now, that makes sense, because the TV Times isn't in the game of spending that much money on its covers, but that's not fair. It's like the Radio Times has a vested interest in the show and loves it, and yet you're meant to, and so I used to refuse. They used to say, right, now you've done an interview with the Radio Times, now you must do an interview with the, with the TV Times. You must spread yourself about. You've done an interview with Doctor Who magazine, you must do one with SFX. I like SFX, but then you must do one with Dreamwatch. And I used to think, no, I absolutely refuse. I don't know how are you going to shift me, but I am not operating by your rules of fair play because your rules of fair play don't operate in a commercial marketplace, which this programme is in, whether you like it or not. I've gone off on a complete tangent now, Toby. No, it's fine. It was like, I can't that tell you how much... Very I can't tell you how much time all that took up. It was like... And it's still not resolved. I bet that goes on to this day. I think um, I think Thomas Spilsby always sits there worrying about how much set access you'll get to Doctor Who, despite the fact that they pay a licence. They pay thousands and thousands of pounds to be there. How do we get onto that? Because uh, I asked a very fannish question about whether Utopia... So, Sound of right. So when it comes to stuff like Doctor Who magazine, it's like... I would read the stuff, all the, I wouldn't read the, anything about the classic series. Any interviews they've done with us, I would read. I hope not to sit there with like a John Nathan Turner famous blue pencil, but I just correct facts and say, no, that's wrong. And sometimes there are interviews with actors. Actors get things wrong. You know, they get like the writer's name wrong. You know, I would just correct facts. Sometimes stuff wasn't fair. I would call it censorship if you like, but sometimes someone might kick off blaming the design department for some mistake. You sit there going, 
I'm not taking that out because I don't believe you can ever say anything bad, but that's not fair. You don't know why they got that wrong, and they maybe they were given wrong information. It's just not fair to criticise someone like that. So I take stuff like that out, but I'm saying that within a framework of saying, I think they should have absolute freedom for what they like. So when Tom sits there and looks at Utopia, Tom Spilsby, the editor, when he looks at Utopia and Sound of Drums and Ask the Time Lords and says that's a three-parter, I kind of sit there thinking, well, it's not actually my job to decide that. I don't think it is. I think, but I can see why he does, because actually at the end of the time, well, at last of the time, you discover it was all the same plot. You discover the Tocophane all flew off to Utopia, and it is all part of the same thing. But I think that's just a nice back reference to me, and I suddenly find that I have my canon rules, which sort of say it's a different director. It was shot in a different block. Therefore, it's a different story. That doesn't actually mean anything. It's a load of nonsense. It doesn't matter about that, and yet it does to me. So I think it's the part of the whole point of the spiel is to say, I don't think it's my job to tell Doctor Who and therefore tell fandom what this is. It's been sure. like unit dating. It's like, you can try, but it's, 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 it's time, I think, will decide whether that scene is a two-parter or a three-parter. I always think of it as a three-parter. I think it's, Utopia is a nice prelude to the great big story that's to come. I say that, then you watch the very first scene of Sound of Drums, and it's completely, fairly, obviously, a three-parter. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like it starts with them arriving in an alley. Yeah. Where have they just come from? They've just fled from the previous cliffhanger. It's like... It's tricky, isn't it? So that doesn't help us whether we've but got I now think, an anecdote from one or well, two. Well, no, I know, I know. But I think as ex- you've got to be aware as executive, and I think Stephen sees that you see him doing this a lot, of backtracking. It was not prescribed to fans what something is because they'll decide and history will decide it's, yeah. and you can have too much power. If, if I'd said, this is a three-parter, then, and sometimes it looks like I'm hiding the fact it's a three-parter so to hide the surprise of John Sim being in the cliffhanger and then carrying on through. I wasn't doing it to hide that at all. I genuinely think it's kind of like a prelude followed by a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And, and a very, uh, it's a, the, 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 the thing that strikes me when I think about Last of the Time on the Sound of Drums is, is I love all the stuff with, um, um, uh, it's a sort of like an urban thrillery thing where, um, I love the Guns scene where, where Martha's dad goes, Run, run. I love that. And it's oh, that's shoots funny. that really nicely. Yes. Isn't it? Oh, he shoots that magnificently. Yes, yes, yes. Apart from the, I was worried about the window blowing out the back of the car. Going, Surely a bullet just entered Jack's head. <laughs> <laughs> that bullet didn't stop at the glass, did it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like things like. That. But equally, I'm glad to have. Yes, I love that. But that's funny. It's proper. Martha's flat blowing up. That chase to the parents. The parents being arrested is is kind of enemy of the world territory. It's proper mm. urban thriller. With with very little alien elements going on there, it's yeah. like you're telling a story of a fascist society there. I actually caught I caught the Sound of Drums on watch um, two days ago or something. It was one of the after drops texting film. It's hilarious that because there's things like we're at Cardiff airports where the president arrives. There's this huge. It's great. It looks brilliant. It looks like we've shot really expensively because those cars pull up. And it's a huge empty space. And there's there's night and the the master's standing there as prime minister. There are actually those huge, big, empty shots because we were always hoping that we had the money to make there was a map painting of Air Force One in the background. <laughs> Air Force One is meant to be there in shots, <laughs> and we just ran out of money. It's like no way we could do that. So now it makes me laugh to see these great big. It, it doesn't. It, they look like panoramic vistas, but to me, it's like oh shame. One day I'll go back. <laughs> One day oh, I'll pay George them. Lucas, <laughs> to, no, to George Lucas, because it would be so brilliant to have for the master and, and the, the president elect to be standing there having a conversation with Air Force One looming over them. Of course, promise me that the master won't shoot first. Uh, where, <laughs> <when she laughs> exactly. <kills him. laughs> exactly. It's funny because I love that. It's funny because I know that story is not very popular. I love that story, and I think it's one of my favourites. That story, and I think 
We kind of, I had more reaction after Last of the Time Lords than any other story I've ever transmitted. More emails. And, and emails from strange, strangers and people in television going, saying that they loved that. And it kind of like, it kicked off. It went, it started the rise of an audience and that rise kept going up to Voyage of the Damned. And it's like our ratings rise that yeah. never, ever stopped then. It, it was a phenomenal. Kind of started from that point on. It kind of kicked, I don't know if it's like, don't know what it did there. It, it, it's where we went up against. So you've started the road to the stolen earth, yeah, and to the end of time. Right there, the viewing figures started clicking. Yeah, well, you, you, I mean, Christmas Day, Kylie Minogue, and you did the Poseidon mm. adventure. And bless her, and I love Kylie. I don't think she bought 13 million on her own. I think, no. I think, do you think Last of the Time Lords? Catapult, it was a love for yeah. that. People love that story. I know fandom, does, fandom doesn't, that doesn't matter. It's loved by it was an extraordinary response to it. I think it was something about. The loss. I think that's where the Doctor really suffered. I think. I think basically you know, the more we made David suffer, the more the ratings went up. <laughs> I think is that true? I don't know. But um, yes, then we had Kylie Minogue on board, which was mad. Can you believe we ever got that booking? Whose idea was that? It was at the launch of um, Smith and Jones. Um, Will Baker, who's her right hand man, who's a Doctor Who fan, was there. And you, wouldn't it be great if Kylie did? An episode of Doctor Who. I don't know if I said that. I don't know if Julie. I think Julie probably said it. Julia was at that ambition. She was even more ambitious than me. And Will went, I'll do it. I'll get her. Or maybe he, maybe Will Baker said it to us. And we all gathered in a corner, all very excited. And then you go home and you wake up the next morning thinking, well, that'll never happen, will it? And that's something I knew could act. I used to watch Neighbours years ago, a proper actor. And, and that's where Julie's very brilliant in that she doesn't wake up in the morning and think, wouldn't that be nice? She wakes up the next day and goes, right, I'm going to make that happen. And the nightmare of fitting that into her schedule. She'd just been off work because she'd been ill. She had a new album coming out. She had a perfume coming out. And Julia always describes the moment when she went to see her managers who thought that we want her for a couple of days. And they said, <laughs> how long do you want her for? And she went, three weeks. <laughs> their faces just dropped because they knew that Kylie actually wanted to do it as well. It was a nightmare fitting that in. And we did it. And you did it. And then the next nightmare is rather more tragic in that you launch the new series with... You bring back Catherine Tate. Um, oh, Howard, you mean? Lovely and, and, Howard. Uh, yes, you, you have an actor who's been a jobbing actor all his life. I God know, bless him. I know. Gets the part that then would become a regular part. And what a lovely actor. What, have you seen the DVD extra yeah. where he does that? It's beautiful, isn't he? And that was like... Because we, we knew he'd been ill. We knew he'd had cancer. And his agent said he'd be all right. And um, his lovely wife... I'm still I'm in touch with his wife now and again still because she was so thrilled by it all and so delighted that he got that chance even though it didn't you know continue but um the gosh his agent said he'd been ill and then he came to the first read through and we were like oh our heart sank to be honest with oh my gosh he's properly ill and um and yet we loved it i thought I've, i thought we would have if obviously we would have carried on we managed that one scene and i thought he's got a line in it about being ill isn't he in that scene he's, you know he says some uh, all all the troubles i've had you know, and I, th- I love the fact that Donna would go to sort of go travelling the universe kind of in her father's place and going back home and telling Dad who's, who's ill, you know, might be on a drip or something. And she goes and tells him about the stars. We had a beautiful story there. It's a real, it became the Wilfred story. Who doesn't want to work, work, work with Bernard Cribbins? But, um, wow, poor Howard. It was that, But it was kind of like, it's one of those moments that a lot of good things, a lot of honours. He was very happy to come back. He was happy to be working right up to the end. His wife, I was delighted by it all and, and frankly that production team and I don't mean me I mean the people on the set David and Catherine was so lovely to them that actually what were the last weeks of his life then became lovely 
a lovely thing in London, and he felt very protected. He was looked after. Performers to be proud of. I'm glad we got that out on the DVD, so it didn't just disappear. So there's you know there's a whole fandom, the good side of fandoms, that embracing that sort of detail, embracing that sort of acting. Howard Atfield, bless him. And you gave him a caption. Yes, dedicated to. Yes, yes, yes. He deserved that. That's nice. Sad, isn't it? lovely man. Um, and uh, talking of actors <laughs> whose fortunes change in the next uh, uh, episode, you've got. Managed to secure the service of an actor called Peter Capaldi. Who, uh, oh, <laughs> yes. What, I didn't uh, see that coming. Then. I couldn't work out as best. <laughs> Never mind getting Catherine Tate back. Look at us skipping over that. Well, I suppose that's been told in the official history a lot, but I still can't believe it. A year. Come and come, come to Cardiff for a year, Catherine, and do this. Yeah, I mean, was she not doing it? Did she have to change her plan? She you know? dropped everything for it. That, she did to do The Runaway Bride. She was like... She, she loved David. Before she came and worked with David, she was fascinated by it. She'd watched everything. She'd been to the theatre to see David. She was already very fascinated in David Tennant, thinking he was a fine, fine actor. And she's right, obviously. So I, I remember we went to meet her for lunch for The Runaway Brides. I was thinking, oh, here we are, approaching this big star. It was good to be, you know, especially because she writes her own stuff. That's when you're really in trouble, approaching someone to be in your show because they're busy. It's like approaching Miranda Hart now. You're really in trouble if you try to do that because oh my god she's busy. I was Catherine. I thought she writes as well. So anytime she's not on screen, she's writing. They will never get her. Little knowing that she was dying to work with David, work with David Tennant. So I went to that lunch. And she was just like yes, yes. What am I doing? What's she called? I remember she turned around and said, "What's she called?" I was like, and I didn't know Donna's name. I was just saying, I went Donna. I mean, she's <laughs> called Donna. <laughs> like that instant naming like that. She was oh great like that. And then you know I know Julie told this story, but. You know, we just never thought we'd get her back. And then Julie, Jane Trantred had a meeting with her and came to us and at a Radio Times party, came to us at a Radio Times cover party and said, I might be going mad, but all she talked about was how much she loved Doctor Who. We had these other projects, she's playing this, she's playing that, we're doing dramas for her. She just said how much she loved Doctor Who. I think you stand a chance of getting her in as a companion. We were like, no way. And they, and they, and they, was, and they turned to me and go, would you like that, Russell? I was going, oh my God, I, just love to write for her. Just and you just never think it'll happen. So Julie fixed up this lunch to say, "Is there any chance you all might do? Would you do four or five episodes? Would do a whole?" Yes, she just went yes like that. Yes, instantly. She loved it because of David. She loved the scripts and everything. And but I don't think she ever understood a word of science fiction. But <laughs> she loved, loved, loved working with David. And there she was. And I loved her. Oh, she was brilliant. She could do anything. Well, I mean, we leapt off from Fires of Talking. I mean, that that scene where she. Begs him to go back. That's not a comedy turn, is it? That's not. That's not a. You see, uh, yes. Because you know. I like being contrary with that. Because she comes into it, and I know there'd be woe and gnashing of teeth amongst fandom, saying, "Oh, you know," and she's just a comedy turn and stuff like that. And so I love. I just love being perverse in those sort of circumstances. So you bring someone in. Normally, you'd be sitting there going, "No, she's not just a comedy turn." But frankly, in Partners in Crime, you, I'm sorry, you give her the funniest scene there's ever been. It's like not only is Donna funny, but she does this mime in the windows that. The frankly is hilarious. I've got to be honest. That's hilarious. I remember being at the press launch for that. That got the biggest laugh I've ever heard. It was fantastic. It was brilliant that moment. And then, um, then you spin that on its head and give her the depths of tragedy. Just one person in the fires of Pompeii. Can you believe we made Pompeii? I mean, they went yeah. to Italy and had all the ash and the dust and the explosions. You, you look at these things like the Shakespeare go, go into the glow. I look at them now and I think, I can't believe we did that. It's amazing. I love that story. I love it. Brilliant. 
and then you've got uh, uh, I, I like the, the snow planet of the ood planet of tood planet yeah. of tood with yeah, I love tim mckinney turning into an ood yes like, of course by this time you know we're skipping over they've got a lovely Susie liggard producing for us now was that phil would like become an exec on those episodes giving him a needed holiday Susie was lovely you know great someone someone i worked with as a first assistant director for years, and we'd be dying to give her. She was someone who's always been dying to be a producer, and been dying for that chance. And we got her in. It's where the whole family of shows started paying off because we got her in to do the Sarah Jane Adventures, and then she moved off from that to Doctor. Everything starts paying off once you set up all these shows, spinning plates, all at once. In comes Susie, and she's a fantastic producer, a lifesaver, absolutely lovely. Planet of the Ood, nice. What can we say about Planet of the Ood? <laughs> it's got a <laughs> great me. big brain. It's uh, got a it's great got big brain. That man is thrown into the brain. I love that bit. <laughs> and you've got the rabbit. You know, you, you, you address what you'd let the humans off the hook mm. with before. Yes. And you've, also, you've also sort of got a female circumcision thing going on there with the, the re- <laughs> removal of the brain. Yes, I hadn't quite thought of it that way. Yes, or, yeah. <laughs> or even male, yes. Um, mm. Yes, but, yes, but... Um, well, am, I, am I reading too much into this, dear reader? Maybe I am. Well, no, there is... No, it's quite... I do remember the original script did have the circumcisions. What a better word! There were there there was this kind of a slicing machine. There was a uh, one of those great Doctor Who classic chase sequences of bodies of Ood with, with literally a guillotine would slice off their their hind brain or their their hand brain, whatever it was called. And I think probably Donna was probably trapped on that conveyor belt heading for the. Um, uh, guillotine at one point. It's probably the sequence that then became the grabber, uh, that giant grabber chasing after the doctor. Yeah. So I remember going, that's act again. This is real. That's really slicing off part of someone's body. I'm not sure we can do that. Um, that was quite a late change, I think. Um, and it was just, that's too graphic. It would bleed. You sit there going, it would bleed. How much ood blood do we want to see? That's actually, that's mutilation. Yeah. So you are right about those uh, analogies. Actually, it's where we could talk about removing that brain, but seeing it was just ghastly, really. Uh, and then you bring the Sontarans back. Sontaha! Yeah. Dan so, Starkey, look yeah. at that now. Yeah. Now he's a regular. Yeah. Isn't it mad the way Doctor Who is like you bring in Catherine? Dan Starkey, he's like the Doctor's friend now. Yes. Isn't it funny? Strax, I love him. What a lovely actor he is. Yes. And you just don't know him very well, just think, he won't mind my saying, short actors. And, um, and I love the chance to make them really short. We sat there going, let's really, really make them short. You look at those tall ones and the two Doctors. And, um, it's just not quite working, is it? It's like they're meant to be lynx, squat and tough. And you I killed like Ross, the lovely soldier. He was very pretty, Ross. Yes. yes, I'm worried about you, Toby. <laughs> it's like, again, bring that body to me. But it's interesting, <laughs> you do a thing that you, with the, the with unit, you have the Doctor berating them for carrying guns. And mm. you, as the liberal priest, you go, yes, quite right, the Doctor should do that. And then you turn it on its head and give Rupert Holiday Evans a brilliant speech. Yes. Goes, that's why the Doctor needs unit, and yeah, they're actually brave. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Doctor's being a bit of an idiot here, yeah. not an idiot, but he's he's the Doctor slightly wrong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I was when I watched, I caught a bit of the sound of the drums the other day, and it was like I liked. I can talk about that freedom that you had, and I love that. You'll never have a chance in another show to do this. There's kind of because Doctor Who's in a different place every week. The chance to build in continuity is like always going back to the Earth five billion, sort of seeing what happened to the Earth and then New Earth and then gridlock. And I, and I was sitting there watching, thinking, I like the story of the Valiant. You introduce the Valiant in the sound of drums, this is aircraft carrier, then it comes to the rescue in the Sontaran stratagem, and then it's blown up in the Stolen Earth off stage, sadly. I wish we'd seen more of that. We didn't have the money. But I like those. Some of my favourite things about the show was building in consistent worlds. So I was saying, here's the story of 
you could have a Valiant box set if yeah. you wanted to. <laughs> You'd be a little short of Valiant material, I must admit. But um, that bit, but that's what you do. Rupert Holiday is having great big speeches in that book where the, the great big aircraft carrier comes to their rescue. You've got a yeah. lot of smoke. We've got a great big aircraft carrier. And it <laughs> blasts it away. I love that. I'm just going to put it Okay, so more Russell next time. Uh, before that, if you could donate to his tar- charity, which is the Terence Higgins Trust, www.tht.org. Uh, he, I, and they would be grateful uh, if you could. Um, so more from Russell next time, which will then be the end of the interviews that I recorded in 2013, which was the year I'd set myself to complete the task of getting an anecdote from every single Doctor Who story, which, uh, which I would like to say I, I completed uh, but our technicality, uh, whether you take the technicality or not, depends on, frankly, the sort of person you are. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a couple more editions to go of those that were recorded when uh, I, I, I was supposed to finish by, and then I sort of carried on, so it'll be uh, business as usual. But let's get uh, Russell's stuff done and dusted, because I know you've been very patient waiting for those. So another one, same time next week. In the meantime, be nice to everybody you meet. The world's a better place that way. Cheerio! The 21st century is when everything changes, and you've got to be ready. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Torchwood, Forgotten Lives. Hello? Oh, Jack! Jack Harkness! What? Jack! What, Jack? Where is he? Help, Jack! Listen to the storm, Reese. Stop. Okay. This is what you need to know about the Evolve. Oh, Mummy! 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 Big finish. We love stories. The world's probably ending. You don't have to look so happy about it.